What's up, guys? This is the 404, the show for Atlanta sports fans to sound off on the latest in the 404 sports scene. I'm your host, Isaiah, and I'll be here to guide you through all the triumphs and the tragedies of sports around the 404. It won't always be pretty, but I can promise you it will be fun. So, ATL, let's talk. What is up, Atlanta? This is your boy, Isaiah Smith, coming to you with a new episode of the 404. I'm coming a little bit later this week. Um, so just ready to talk some football really quickly this week. Falcons kick it off on Sunday. That'll be very exciting as usual. Also, got to recap the dogs from last weekend. Picked up a very big win. Going to do that in the second half of the show this week, um, just like last week. But nonetheless, um, a very impressive 10-3 to win. Um, if you didn't see it, if you've been under a rock for the last couple of weeks, um, be be sure to go back, watch the game. You will see a defensive masterpiece. Um, also, as I'm recording this, got a little Bucks uh, Cowboys game on right now. Um, a very tight game um, in into the uh, in the halftime right now. So just um, very interesting to watch. Um, football is officially back. You know, with that um, with college football coming back, it feels you know very good. But with when the NFL starts coming back, you know what what you're getting. You know, you're getting a great product every week. So the NFL really is kind of the piece de resistance, if you will, to football season coming back. But before we get into the show and talk a little bit of Falcons and really dig into this Falcons-Eagles matchup uh, coming up on Sunday. Got to make sure to plug the show. Check us out on social media at um, the 404. Um, that is the, the number four, the number zero, F-O-R-U-M on Facebook. Also check us out on Twitter at the 404. Um, spelled the exact same way. Um, and also be sure to like and subscribe on Anchor, Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search the 404. Um, spelled the same way as in the social media handles. Um, and let us know what you think. Give us comments. Give us opinions, thoughts, questions, all those good things um we want to hear from you guys the fans um because it is a forum so without further ado want to get into this falcons eagles matchup want to talk the falcons um as we will for a lot a lot of times on this show um but want to talk about sunday's opener you know we've been through the preseason we've talked about the takeaways from the preseason we've seen what the team can do what we think they're going to do all those things but really want to dig into this uh, falcons eagles matchup on sunday and so when you get into the keys to the game and what do you think either team's going to have to do to win and all these types of things, I think for both teams, it really does start up front. You know, games are, you hear the phrase, the phrase, the saying, games are won and lost in the trenches um, in football all the time. But I don't think we really understand the magnitude that the line of scrimmage really does play in a football game. You know, it, it really is that vital. And sometimes you don't think about that. Maybe if you don't watch a lot of football, you don't think that's the, that's the case or whatever, or if you're a casual viewer or whatever. But really, if you do watch, Watch the offensive lines. Really watch what happens up front. The team that's winning those battles is the team that is going to win the football game more times than not, I would dare to say. Um, but for both of these teams, I really do think it starts up front. If the Falcons can't block and protect, uh, then they've really got no chance against the Eagles defensive line with Fletcher Cox, Brandon Graham at a defensive end, you know, Javon Hargrave playing the other defensive tackle beside Fletcher Cox, um, Derek Barnett. They went out inside Ryan Kerrigan in the offseason, so they've got – a lot on that defensive line. Now, obviously, for for Philadelphia, the the linebacking core is not what it was the year they won the Super Bowl when they had uh, you know a lot of those guys. They're still very formidable. Those guys have won a lot of football games together, and the secondary as well. It's not as strong as it was, but um, you know Darius Slay is still very good. Um, but we also know that pass rush covers a multitude of sins. If you watched the Georgia game last weekend, you saw that. Um, and if you can't protect or, or run block, at least do one of those things, uh, average or above 
above average um, and keep them up, them honest up front. It's, it's going to be open season on Matt Ryan. You know, heard some radio hosts earlier in the week talking about, you know, is it reasonable to assume that there will be, you know, more than three sacks on Matt Ryan? And I think, it, it, you know, that's a question of the offensive line. That's directly who that question, that prediction, that thought is, is, is directed at. I don't know what Vegas has the prop as on Matt Ryan's number of sacks on Sunday, but I'm sure um, I, I think I feel like three is a reasonable number. If you set it at three and a half, you would have to really think about think that think about that, knowing what we know about their offensive line. But you know, with the keys, you know, up front on the Falcons side, you know, Jalen Mayfield's going to get to start at left guard. Uh, Matt Hennessy will be at center, so both those guys are going to see a load with the with the Eagles' defensive tackles and whoever lines up over them. Even even if those guys, you know, stunt and they bring a defensive end inside or they bring a linebacker, um, you know, to pass rush there, whoever they see, it, it's going to be a tough matchup. And, you know, Arthur Smith talking about you know Jalen Mayfield getting his first start said everybody's got to get baptized at some point so hopefully for Hennessy and for Jalen Mayfield the, the baptism doesn't come immediately hopefully they're able to hold their own um, but I think it makes the run game that much more important we know for young offensive linemen a lot of times it's easier for them to run block for whatever reason um, I, I think it has to do a lot of times with pass setting and all the technique and things that come with pass setting and then the, just the athleticism of edge rushers outside linebackers edge edge players in that new hybrid role um, or even defensive ends you know the old school defensive end who just bends the corner and gets to the quarterback. Um, I think it's easier to go forward than it is at times to go back and pass block. Um, so if you can be the aggressor and take the fight to them, I think that may be very important. If the Falcons run game can get going, that can be a big help to the offensive line. You gain a little bit of confidence, you see yourself moving the ball. And then before you know it, you put a couple drives together, you're passing, you're running, you're balanced, all those good things are happening. But, you know, on the other side, you know, thinking about the deep, the, the lines of scrimmage, um, you know, the Falcons, can they get any type of pass rush or stop the run? You know, last year, the Falcons struggled at both of those things getting pass rush and stopping the run. They also struggled against stopping running backs out of the backfield, catching passes. How many times do we see a swing route or a little, you know, a, a little wheel route to the, to the ends in the end zone in the red zone that, that destroyed the defense, you know, um, but they have to find some semblance of a pass rush to win. Um, and it hurts, you know, Jalen hurts, you know, talking about, you know, uh, Philly's quarterback. Jalen Hurts is a good passer. He's no Mahomes. He's no Brady. He's not Dak Prescott, Josh Allen, but he still uh, can be a competent passer, especially if you make don't make him get off of his first read. If he's got a comfortable, clean pocket and can stand back there and look at his first guy or even potentially stare him down, stare down Devontae Smith, stare down Jalen Rieger, whoever that may be, Ertz or, or you know, Dallas Goddard, whoever the first read may be, um, when he can stare that guy down and, you know, doesn't have to really come off of it and be a true quarterback, kind of play in the college Lincoln Riley spread system of one read and out, um, you know, he's pretty good. So you've got to make him go through his progressions. You've got to make the, the space he has to operate back there smaller. You can't rush past him and give him those lanes to run upfield because he, when he comes off that first read, a lot of times he's going to look to tuck it and run almost like a quarterback draw. And if you get too far upfield um, with a blitz or with pressure, um, that's going to cause a problem. So, uh, you know, Dean Pease is talking about they have to try and collapse the pocket. You may see a lot more interior pressure to try and speed him up and, and not let them bend the edges so much, but let your edge guys keep contain and then you bring the pressure from the inside where they don't have enough guys to block and then you make him kind of have to make a guy miss to do something or or even you know have to try to get to the edge and if you can hold the edge you're gonna you know sack him for a loss or keep it to a short game with the with the run um so all that in mind you know being Pease is thinking about that he's going to try and engineer pressures that will make Jalen Hurts do things he's not comfortable doing make him maybe move left um maybe you know make him maybe even make him stay in the pocket maybe just rush three rush four and cover with six or seven and obvious passing situations and see what happens, you know, see if he can pick you apart and 
do different things like that. Um, it's not the worst, you know, thing to blitz here. You know, Dean Pease loves to blitz. We know he likes to dial it up um, because Jalen Hurts, you know, struggles with, with pressure and, and make, bringing that extra defender is going to make it tough. Um, but you also can't, you know, like I said, let him pick you apart. Let him do things with your legs. Ask the University of Georgia what Jalen Hurts can do with his legs when you don't really game plan for him or his ability to run the football. So you've got to find a way to be, find some way to be effective, you know, against the run. Don't don't let them just turn and hand it to Miles Sanders and let Jalen Hurts run read option and quarterback draw and hurt you there as well. Um, you know, the Falcons, if you remember last year, there were a couple games where they just got absolutely run over, got road graded. Um, and, you you know, you got to at least make teams think when they call plays. And, again, that starts up front um, and with the linebackers. You know, you need those guys to be solid against the run, try to make teams one-dimensional, try to make them do something that they're not comfortable doing if they don't want to do it at, at a particular point in the game. But, when you know, moving away from the offensive line, talking about some different matchups that will be key in this game, um, you got to look and see how they what they do against Kyle Pitts. I think Kyle Pitts is going to be a very big player in the game plan, and you'd be dumb for him not to be. You spent the fourth overall pick on a guy. He better be part of your game plan week one if he's healthy and he can go out there. So um, I'm not expecting him to go off. I'm not expecting him to have, you know, 300 yards from scrimmage and, and just make all – types of plays and and do all these crazy things and look like it's a you know an advanced college game it's not exactly what i'm looking at but i do think he he's going to be expected to exploit some mismatches they're going to try and put him in some different places i ex- expect them to move him around to be in line to be in the slot to be in an h-back kind of role potentially i think they're going to put him all over the football field and try to see what types of looks and matchups he can get and when they find out what they can exploit i think they're going to continue going going with it whether it means you know philly's best cover guys on him and not calvin ridley or or, you know, it means that they're putting, you know, a slow linebacker on him. Whatever the case, the case is, I think they're going to try to exploit whatever matchup they see there. Um, but I think Pitts' biggest impact could be in the red zone. You know, you heard a lot about in, about him in camp, um, making a lot of plays in the red zone, doing a lot of good things there down there with Matt Ryan. So I think if the Falcons can drive down the field, get into the red zone, I think Kyle Pitts' size and just physical ability to go up and high point the football, to just make plays down there, get open, find open space, and, and sit down and do what he needs to do and catch the football and, and be a big target. I think he have a big impact there. Not saying he's going to catch three or four touchdowns or anything like that, but I do think he can have a very big impact on the football game if they get in the red zone and possibly in some crucial moments at that. Um, However, I do think um, if if Philly lets a linebacker or a safety um, run with Kyle Pitts, it won't be it won't be pretty if Matt Ryan's got Matt Ryan has time to throw. Um, and I'm interested to see if Kyle Pitts can be an immediate mismatch. You know, is it going to take time for him to develop into you know the go to tight end and then the big time receiver at that position, or is he going to be a day one ready guy, ready to go guy? Um, but also another matchup I'm interested to see. You know that you know is is kind of weakness on if you will question mark um the falcons cornerbacks which i think you would say is a weakness of the team um against Devonte smith against jalen rieger against you know philly's pass catchers how are you going to guard Devonte smith what's that look like when they i think Devonte smith is going to move all around the football field um the same way they're going to move kyle pitts around the field you know guys don't just if you're you know the wide risk you know the receiver starting receiver if you're the slot receiver you don't always play in the slot if you're the wide receiver you don't always play out wide sometimes they invert the those guys, they move, you know, those receivers all over the field. If you remember um, a couple of years, Julio Jones did a lot of damage out of the slot. Um, they when they, they had Roddy White, they would put those two guys on the same side of the field with, or with Tony Gonzalez.
Gonzalez even or put Tony Gonzalez away and let Julio work out of the slot. So when you have those types of options, you can do that. And then Philly has those options with their skill guys. So, you know, is it Miles Sanders they're going to put out there? Whoever it is, how are you going to guard somebody in the slot? You know, Isaiah Oliver is looking like the slot corner right now, but Isaiah Oliver against Devontae Smith doesn't exactly sound fair. Um, It wouldn't have sounded fair if you told me that would have been a matchup last year with, with Devontae Smith still in college. It doesn't exactly sound fair this year, um, you know, this year either. So how do they guard Devontae Smith? How do they guard some of those, you know, the pass catchers? And can those pass catchers exploit a mismatch if it's available? Um, Can Miles Sanders exploit the linebackers out of the backfield? You know, can they do um, some, you know, make the plays that, that would be advantageous and they'd be expected to make? But also, and maybe finally here, um, what can, you know, I want to know about the Falcons wrinkles. There's a lot of question marks surrounding this team, like we talked about last week, because they just haven't shown a lot in the preseason. I mean, it's been a depth finding mission. I don't know how much depth they actually found or quality depth they actually found, but with all of those things in mind, you know, we still have a lot of questions. How is Cordell Patterson going to be used? We think he's going to be a Swiss Army knife role. We think he's going to be all over the field, but we really don't know. They could line him up and hit him ball 12 times. Um, we, we just don't know. The same question for Kyle Pitts. What's his usage, usage going to look like? How heavily will they rely on the run? You know they tried to run the ball a lot in the preseason to ad nauseum at, point, at a point, but – you know, how much is that going to factor into the game plan? If it works, if it doesn't work, is it going to work? Are they going to be able to do that with, with, you know, the, with the first team offense out there, but, you know, both coaches have said they don't 100% fully know how the other will want to attack, even though both have been play callers elsewhere, elsewhere, both have, you know, experience on the offensive side of the ball, both have tape on the other from another team, but not with their current team and their current personnel. So I think it'll be interesting to see that chess match kind of unfold. How does Arthur Smith fill out um, Sirianni? Um, how does Sirianni fill, Sirianni fill out Arthur Smith? How does Dean Pease fill out what um, Philly's offense wants to do and by Vice versa with Atlanta's offense and Philly's defensive coordinator. How do those things play out? Who can make the counters and the necessary changes and take and take advantage? That'll probably be the team that wins the football game. So as far as expectations, we talked about expectations for the season last week. What do we expect to see from the Falcons, you know, throughout the year? I'm really, you know, but this game, I'm really expecting this thing to start slow, a la UGA Clemson. Um, just maybe, hopefully, it ends on a different end of the spectrum. Um, I'm looking for all the things Arthur Arthur Smith said he wanted to bring this season, the run game. Even if it's not overly successful, I look for him to try and impose that early on with Mike Davis, with Patterson, with whoever it may be. Um, I look for the toughness, the efficiency in the pass game, trying to hit your deep shots when they're available, but also trying to just take what they give you. The discipline, you know, few little to no penalties. It's impossible to say there will be no penalties or you want, you know, under a certain number of penalties um, in, in the first game. It's hard to do that, but on the same token, I I do think discipline, not having the the self-inflicted mistakes pre-snap, knowing the snap count, knowing, you know, watching the ball defensively, those types of little discipline things, the defensive intensity, et cetera, the, the, you know, the intangible categories that don't always show up in the stat sheet, but definitely affect winning. I, de- I really look for those things to show up um, and kind of as a way to evaluate Arthur Smith, I think that's those are the areas we need to look at because he's not going to always have the most talented group out there to do what he wants to do. So we've got to look at, you know, the culture and some of the intangible 
intangible things changing. And if he can make those changes, it's only a matter of time before he gets the guys get coached up to where he wants them, or he gets his players in the in you know in his system and he can really work with them and do what he wants to do. But the first thing that's got to change is the mentality, the attitude, the way they go about business. I really think this is a winnable game for Atlanta. Um, they just can't let Philly's defensive line dominate the game, get five, six, seven, eight sacks. That makes things a little too easy, and, and then your defense is on the field a little too much. Then your defense gets tired, and then Jalen Hurts can use his legs. He can you know make those plays with his arm that we know he's capable of making at times. Um, but you know when you look at the you know the other the sideline categories, if you will, um, Philly, you know is a team that's still learning with the new head coaches, just like Atlanta is. Honestly, if you're telling me to pick a head coach, I'm picking Atlanta's head coach um, just because he's a little more proven in what he does in, in the league, a little more known, a little more respected, I guess. Um, but, you know, maybe it comes down to knowing, you know, or, you know, it comes down to these intangible things. If it comes down to that, great. Um, I don't know that it will. Obviously, the, the players are on the field to win the game. But, you know, as far as, you know, the outcome of this game, I think it's a very winnable game for Atlanta. I expect Atlanta to win the football game. Philly's not a great football team. When you look at, you know, all facets of the game, Atlanta may be better in a lot of places and where they're not, it's very, very close. Um, but, you know, as far as the, this, the, the end result, win, lose, draw for the Falcons. I'm not putting a lot of stock into it, but don't get me wrong. I want to win. I expect them to show up and compete their tails off and, and win the football game um, because that's what they're supposed to do. And it's the first step to getting back to where they want to be. Where Arthur Blank wants them to be. Where Arthur Smith wants to be. But, you know, it's still – I'm still tempering my expectations because of the clear limitations of this team. And that's not something – that's not to make an excuse for them, but I just want to live in reality. I want to make sure that we all as Falcon fans live in the reality of this team is not as talented – as it needs to be to get to the point that we want to get to, which I think is Super Bowl championship. That's where everyone wants to be. They don't just, don't just want to play in the Super Bowl. They want to win the Super Bowl. But this team does not have that level of talent. Can, now, does that mean they can't get there? Absolutely not. But right now, I don't think they're day one contenders. They've got a ways to go. Um you know, and it's the same thing for Philadelphia. We don't know what they're going to be. They still have a ways to go from what we know. Could they get there? Who knows? But I think you got to look at the performance as a unit. You've got, like I said, evaluate the intangibles. It's the first time you're seeing all 11 starters on the field on both sides of the ball together. There's going to be some learning curve, but, you know, you should have everyone out there 100% ready to play. So there's no excuses from that end. Um, and, you know, you can't be rusty for too long. These games count. You don't have that excuse either. So um, final prediction, you know, the Falcons are about three and a half point favorites, at, you know, as of Thursday. Um, the home team usually gets three points, basically a push at this point um, when you look at the Vegas odds and, and, and what they expect the game to be. So I think it'll be a very close outcome, a, a very close game. There will be some big deciding play down the stretch, whether it's Jalen Hurts, you know, throwing two or three, four quarter touchdowns or the Falcons defense, you know, holding up and, and forcing four punts on Philly's last four drives or whatever the case may be. Um, I'm going to side with Vegas and take the Falcons. Um, but I think it's close. I think it could end in a variety of ways. I think both teams will have a opportunity to win in the fourth quarter. It'll be an entertaining game. And what else can you ask for as a football fan? I mean, that's that's all you can ask for. So um, before we head to a break, we're going to have a quick 404 flyover. So we're going to get into that right now. Ladies and gentlemen, please fasten your seat belts. It is now time for the 404 flyover. So this week in the 404 flyover, got to talk about the Braves. Um, they are 
still riding the ship, still maintaining since riding the ship uh, right after the All-Star break. Obviously, they fell on Wednesday night, picked up a big win um, on Thursday night. So it'll be interesting to see how they end this homestand. I think they have the Marlins and then the Rockies, if I'm not mistaken, over their next six. So that'll be a, a good way to end the, end the weekend, a good way to start next week um, with all that in mind. You know, I'm, you know, still, you need to have – uh, this good homestand, you know, you lost one to the Nats that you felt like you probably should have won, kind of got away from you. But, you know, you need to show well here in this homestand. I think six and three is a reasonable mark to, to say they need to be because you're not playing very good teams. You know, the Rockies aren't very good. The Nationals obviously aren't very good. You just finished up with them. Uh, and, you know, the, the Marlins are, are also not very good. So six and three, I think you've got to kind of keep a stranglehold on the, on the division. Luckily, Philadelphia is still about two, two and a half games back. Um, but you want to keep positive momentum rolling. I'm not willing to bet that this team can just flip a switch and advance in the postseason because, you know, go from hot to, or cold to hot with their bats. I think they need to have the positive momentum behind them. They need to be rolling going in the, into the postseason, regardless of who they play, to keep that thing moving, keep the train rolling, keep everything going forward in, in, in the right direction. But again, um, this team is shaping up like one that could really, really, really make some noise down the stretch in, in the postseason. Um, outside of the bullpen, I've really got renewed confidence in most every unit on the team, whether that be the infield that hits for a power average and does it all, um, the outfield that's kind of a platoon outfield with none of your three starting outfielders from the beginning of the year, but still gets the job done in a very, very, very high level. Um, or, or and everyone in between, you know, I think this stretch, you know, is crucial. You keep that magic number moving in the right direction, keep it moving down um, because it only gets tougher from here. After you play Miami, after you play the Rockies, um, you got to go back. You got the Giants They're you know, in San Francisco, they're the best team in baseball, but I think the Giants are th- going to be three winnable games for that matter. Um, you beat them earlier in the season. You've shown that they're beatable, you know, in Atlanta, Um and I don't see why, why that can't be a winnable game or a winnable series in the postseason. I don't think the Giants scare us. Um, but the Padres on the, you know, also you will see them at the end of the road trip. You will go um, San Francisco, Arizona, who should hopefully be three wins. And then you'll go with the Padres to close out. And that'll be a formidable test as well. Um, and then you come back home and close with the Mets and the Phillies. You know, I don't have to state how big those games are and how big those games actually will be. Um, you know, the Mets and Phillies are both nipping at your heels maybe not so much the Mets but the Phillies for sure are right there so with all that in mind you know you want to alleviate as much pressure as you can from those series take as big of a lead as possible um if you can put that thing put put those teams out of reach and sweep the rest of your series that'd be great that's obviously probably not going to happen so you just want to put yourself in as good of a position as possible give yourself as much margin for error as possible so you don't come in having to make up ground or having to feel like you have to cling on to just a one or two game lead so you know very optimistic about the Braves we know it could go either way we know but we also know the potential of this team how good they are how good they can be so with all that in mind I'm looking forward to seeing the stretch run from them and also hoping to see them get into the playoffs you know get into the playoffs and just see what you can do you're down your best player clearly um, but you still have Freddie Freeman the reigning NL MVP who's playing at a very 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 high level you've still got you know Ozzie Albies who's playing at a very very high level one of the most diverse players in the game um, it's from the standpoint of where he bats in the lineup and things he can do. Um, Dancy Swanson's playing well. Duvall is one of the NL leaders in home runs. 
so much firepower on this team, so many places that it can come from on any given night. So why, you know, why not the Braves? That's the question I'm asking. Why not the Braves? So um, with that in mind, we're going to step away very quickly. But when we return, we're going to talk about the dogs. We're going to talk about last weekend. We're going to talk about that big, big win over Clemson, the 10-3 victory. And then we're going to talk a little bit about this upcoming weekend and some of the injury concerns going into the game with UAB. So stick around and we'll be right back. Don't you just hate it when the group text is jumping about last night's game, but you don't have anything to say because you didn't watch it? Well, if you listen to the 404 Forum, you will never feel that again because we're bringing you the latest each week in what's happening around Atlanta sports scene. So follow the show on Facebook and Twitter and listen on Spotify, Apple Music, or wherever you get your podcasts. So you'll never feel left out in the group text again. What's up, guys? We're back. You're listening to the 404 Forum. I'm your host, Isaiah Smith, still coming at you with plenty more football talk here before we get out of here and go and let you guys go for the afternoon, night, evening, whenever you listen. Um, but going to talk some dogs football. Got to talk about Georgia from the past weekend and also talk a little bit about them rolling into UAB. So Georgia was able to roll past Clemson um, with a narrow, if you will, 10 to to three victory. Um, And so a lot of people are, you know, earlier in the week were asking the question, how big of a win is this for UGA? What does this mean for UGA? I mean, you can say it means absolutely nothing because you still have 11 more weeks to go and you've got to keep that in perspective. But as far as the win of of shedding the stigma, of shedding stigma and getting the monkey off your back in a sense um, about, you know, not winning the big game, I think it's massive. Um, And for players, even though they know that they still have 11 more weeks to play, have to win 11 more football games, it's massive to kind of know, okay, it's, it's not us, you know, we're not just the, we're not the, you know, the clowns from Chokeville, you know, we can get the job done. We have the talent, we have the ability and that we've proven it now. So now there's no excuse for us not to do it every single week, week in and week out, game in, game out. Um, I don't, and I don't care what the national media says. A lot of people are sitting here saying, Oh, this game doesn't mean anything. It's, it doesn't matter. Um, every, both teams flood everything in front of them. Yada, yada, yada. For Georgia from a, you know, an intangible mental standpoint, this game means a lot. It gets you started on the right note um, against a high-profile playoff-caliber opponent, and that's always a big deal. Anytime you beat a playoff-caliber team, it is a very big deal, and it should be celebrated as such. You know, I, I'm. it's not so much that they won, but probably the way they won, because I think that game is – that game played out about the last way that anyone, including myself, thought it would go. Uh, with a defensive struggle for the whole 60 minutes, I thought we'd see a defensive struggle early, but I didn't expect it to be a full 60-minute slugfest. I mean, I expected the team to that won to get to 20 points, um, but I didn't think it would be a slugfest with the defensive side of the ball dominating on for both teams for the entire game. But I think it, it you know, it really – sets the tone as far as the magnitude of this game, not to touch on that or to touch on that one more time. It sets the tone. There's still 11 more games to go, like I said, but now Georgia is in the position they want to be in. You've won your opener. You've won the high-profile game. Now you're favored the rest of the way. Win those football games. You probably won't see that the level of competition that you saw on Saturday night um, until the Florida game, maybe Auburn, uh, definitely the SEC championship. It'll be raised at, at that level. Um, and it's not to say that this Georgia team can't be beaten by anyone on their schedule. They can be beaten on any given, any given Saturday by any given opponent, but they're in a very – favorable position um, is, is what I'm trying to say. They're where they want to be. They've taken care of business and they've done step one. Now it's time to take it week by week, step two, step three, step four, so on and so forth. 
and, and work your way into this college football playoff, get to that SEC championship game, and then work your way into that college football playoff. But, you know, looking at the game, kind of recap a little bit, I think the biggest takeaway has got to be the defense. I, I, it's obvious that Georgia's calling card this year may be defense. Once again, as good as their offense can be, the defense – I think is going to be is going to be special, and you need that to win a national title. Um, you've seen Alabama have very dynamic offenses, but also have a special defense as well. Both can exist. You, you don't just have to be one sided, um, as some of these teams are, so Oklahoma and some other teams like that. But I mean, it brings back signs of the defense from the year they played it for the national title, um, especially with the linebacker play. I think that was the most impressive unit to me. Um, a lot of people thought that Kobe Dean and Adam Anderson were, you know, flashes in the pan last year with just having done what they did and played well, but only doing it over a short stretch of time. A lot of people thought that was a flash in the pan. Um, you know, their high levels of play weren't going to, you know, exist over such a long period, over a long period of time and a prolonged stretch of games. Um, and they haven't seen a prolonged stretch of games, but they did see a lot of snaps against Clemson, a lot of passing snaps. Um, and those guys played up to the potential, the expectation that a lot of people thought they would play up to. Um, and I, those guys aren't guys, uh, they're, they're absolute dudes. And UGA has a lot of those guys like that in that front seven. Um, I don't even have to talk about Jordan Davis and Devontae Wyatt's impact on the football game. Both of those guys made cases for being day one or day two selections next spring in the NFL draft. Um, and I mean, they absolutely were anchors between the tackles all night long. And they were the big reason Clemson only had two yards rushing. I mean, you hold an opponent to that, you know, to that few yards on the ground, you you can expect to be in the football game, if not be winning the football game by more. Um, and, and I just can't, you know, speak enough about the pass rush going back to N'Kobe Dean and Anderson, but also Nolan Smith. He was a major player. Uh, and there's a lot of healthy competition there between those guys because they're all competing to get the quarterback on every single play, every single passing down. Um, and they're going to, you know, when one guy gets there, you've got to believe the rest of them are looking around going, uh, you know, hey, where are you guys at? Why aren't you guys back here in the backfield? So I, that's one reason I think that the defense uh, especially that front seven stays very, very good, if not very dominant all season long. You know, it makes it very, very tough to run the football when you've got four or five guys who are just hunting to get after the ball carrier. Um, also, you can't speak enough about the secondary either. You know, Clemson, Clemson's receivers were not shabby. They're a, they're a, big, a good group, uh, some big physical receivers out there um, like Justin Ross and some other guys, but they were not able to get a ton of separation most of the night. The DBs actually held up. There were, you know, a few penalties from Keely Ringo and Lewis Seen. Um, but that's to be expected when you got young corners, young safeties playing a lot of man to man, but they still got the job done when it counted. Also, can't speak enough about Dan Jackson playing in some, uh, you know, three safety packages, a walk on from North Hall High School near my hometown. Um, and also, a pleasant surprise was uh, Latavius Brini as well, a four year guy who stuck it out and stuck around. And now he's getting his opportunity and he made a lot of impressive plays as one of the elder statesmen in that defensive backfield, along with Darion Kendrick as well. So, you know, it, you know, it just says a lot about the recruiting ability and prowess of Kirby Smart to get guys like Latavius Brainy in, um, guys like Dan Jackson to come in and play roles for you, I mean, you know, as walk-ons and things like that. Um, all of your guys that are high-profile recruits are not going to stick around, um, but a lot of them, but a few of them will, and the ones that do who don't play in their first year or second year really do add depth. And when they improve and get to this level where they're juniors or seniors and they're ready to play and it's their time, man, does it look good to not, you know, feel good to not have the learning curve and not have the gaps and things like that. Cause you have seasoned experienced veteran guys who are just stepping in and ready to pick up for the guy who was previously in front of, in front of them and take off. Um, but, you know, offensively, 
there, you know, a lot of people had concerns because they only scored 10 points. Um, a lot of it, I think I'm going to contribute a lot of it to just straight up health. There was no Dominic Blaylock, even though he's cleared to play. Kyrus Jackson was limited um, in his play because of a knee injury as well. He did return punts, but was not able to get out there and, and be a receiver and run routes. Um, and I think these are two guys who would be your top receivers along with Jermaine Burton, who has missed all of, you know, about 10 practices over the spring and summer, um, according to Kirby Smart. So he, you know, even, uh, you know, um, he didn't get a lot of, a lot of run and a lot of playing time. So, uh, you know, also there was no Darnell Washington, who I think may be your top pass catcher um, as well. But you saw some good perform a good performance from Brock Bauer. I think hauling seven um, seven catches for you know around fifty yards. He made plays when he was called upon. He was reliable for JT Daniels in the short passing game. And that's what you expect from a five car- five star guy when he's called upon to play early in his career. Also, you know, I think if JT Daniels was injured, it was in fact injured, that played a part too. Rumors came out um, this week that he had, you know, a rib injury that, uh, you know, is limiting him in practice and may limit him on Saturday potentially. And I think that, you know, that may have played a part as well. We didn't see a lot of the downfield shots. We didn't see him rear back and hucking it down the field. Now you can attribute that to the absence of a true dominant number one outside receiver like a George Pickens or an Eric Gilbert, or you can could contribute it to uh, well, you know, he's got a rib injury. We don't want to you know open him up to be exposed to get hit hit you know the way you can get hit throwing a deep ball down the field having to hold on to the football, but. Either way, I think Kirby Smart does want to open up the offense, and he knows he's got the personnel and the tools to do so. However, this game didn't command that, number one, because the defense was absolutely dominant. And, and, you know, you don't want to expose the really only capable, experienced quarterback on your roster to injury in a game that you're winning where your defense is cruising, dominating, your run game doesn't look bad, um, and things of that nature. So you don't want to expose JT Daniels. But I think the offense will find its groove. They will get rolling. Um, they just got to get healthy. You know, Dominic Blaylock, Darnell Washington, Karis Jackson, like I said, all, you know, big to have back, as well as possibly Eric Gilbert. They haven't ruled out his return at this point. Don't know his status. We know he's away from the team, but if he gets back and gets back into game shape, he could potentially be a playmaker through the second half of the season as well. Um, but, you know, the wide receivers who suited up did play well. Jalen Johnson was good. Um, you know, Marcus Rosemi Jack Saint, you know, was pretty good before he sprained, you know, had a sprained ankle again, I believe. And just some of the other guys who, who were able to pitch in as well. But also, I love the way they use the running backs in the slot and out wide at times, too. James Cook was very good in the slot. I think he had three or four catches. Um, I think he's going to be the Swiss Army knife guy for most of the season. He may touch the ball in the backfield. He may catch it out wide. He may catch it in the slot. He's going to do a lot of things. You know, one way to overcome the deficit at wide receiver, I think, for, for Georgia is to go ahead and put those running backs on the field in the slot in different positions and – you know, let them use their athleticism against linebackers, safeties, whoever else. Um, but if you're looking at the game, I think as a Georgia fan, you got to be most proud of that final drive. You know, not you didn't have a ton of success. You ran the ball okay for the majority of the game. There were a lot of missed assignments, a lot of missed blocks and things of that nature. Um, but, you know, I like that the offensive line locked in, you know, it was like Todd Munkin said, Hey, they don't get the football back. And Georgia took that personally. Seriously. The offensive line made a real statement, even without Tate Ratledge in the lineup who went out in earlier in the game. And I look for this to be the formula until the wide receivers and the skill guys get back. You can say what you want to say, Kirby Smart's not changing. He doesn't want to evolve, whatever. I think he does want to change and evolve. He just can't right now because you can't have, you know, freshmen and sophomore and walk on receivers out there trying to run an offense that they just don't have a lot of experience. 
experience in and do things that they're just not comfortable doing right now. Um, you know, you can't ask guys who are just coming back from injury to come out and be at the level that they were at before their injury. You know, so in short, I'm not worried about the offense. I think as the team gets healthier, they will be more dynamic as a virtue of that. But, you know, as far as the defense, can this defense carry to an SEC championship or college football playoff appearance with their schedule? Yes, it can. However, for the team to reach its potential, the offense is going to have to get on track. Um, and, and that's just that's just a fact. You're going to need 35 or more to knock off Alabama, which you're presumably going to have to do to win a national title. Um, if things stay, stay, you know, to form as we've seen them through a week, I'm not sure how good um, Alabama is at this point because Miami seemed to be a little more than a scrimmage. I don't think Miami is as good as, as we thought they would be coming into this year. Um, but I'm excited to see Alabama go against Florida in a couple weekends. I think Florida is not going to be great, but they're going to come in. They're going to test them. But, you know, for Georgia, the defense can carry you to a, an SEC championship. Yes, especially with their schedule. I think it can even get you to a college football playoff appearance. Um, depending on who you play in that SEC championship. But I think to win a national title, if you see an Oklahoma, a Clemson again, presumably they're going to have a better offensive game plan and a better offensive attack. Uh, whoever you see in that playoff, you're going to need to score some points. Um, and that's just the fact of the matter. It's just the way the game's going. It's the way it is. So no better time to start that than this weekend against UAB. Um, hopefully the offense can put up some points and get 35, 40 points up. And maybe it's not a game at halftime. Maybe you got a three, four score lead going into the half. Into the half. You put it away midway through the third quarter and we get to see Carson Beck. We get to see um, some of those other young guys get out there on the field and make some plays in the second half, late in the third and in the fourth quarter. Um, but a lot of people are saying, you, you know, UAB can pull this one off. They can, they can, you know, they can get the job done. And I'm not discounting UAB um, because, you know, they're a really good team. They're very talented. They won their conference last year, picked as the favorite in their division again this year. Um, so an upset is possible, but I just think Georgia's got too many athletes to get the job, to not get the job done. Um, they're going Kirby Smart's gonna find guys who want to play. I think that defensive line is still too nasty, too feisty and ferocious to not get the job done on that side of the ball. Even if you know Chris Smith has to be the team's uh, best offensive player through three quarters and you got to get some picks that remember Alabama. Um, I forget who the maybe it was Jalen Hurts second year. One year Alabama had this ridiculous treat, streak of you know defensive or special teams touchdowns, and they literally carried that into a national title game or a national title appearance. I forget if they won it all that year. Year, but I forget the number of games. It was 20 or 30 some odd games. They had a defensive or special teams touchdown throughout, you know, and it was Minka Fitzpatrick who was scoring touchdowns. And granted, they were blowing teams out, but the defense was so dominant that, that you know, it, it was sometimes the defense did win games, or, you know, early in that streak. The defense would be able to return, you know, would get a pick six or scoop and score, or, you know, you'd have a kickoff return for touchdown. And that may be a, a bit of the difference. So don't discount a defense being able to kind of carry a team to the tone and really keep the team in the game and get the job done and push them to a win, if you will. Um, I can say this is one of the first times I've been excited to see the Georgia defense take the field um, since, you know, the national championship year where they where they went to the national title game with Roquan Smith and a lot of those guys. And, you know, some of these guys on this team were on that team as young players, and they're really stepping up to play now. But, you know, back to this weekend, I'm not discounting UAB. I don't, I don't want to talk down to them because they're a very capable opponent. Um, but I think on the defensive side of the ball, Georgia just has too many weapons. They have too many weapons on the offensive side of the ball, even with a lot of their weapons being hurt. But even with JT Daniels potentially banged up, I think Georgia's going to get the job done. Um, I expect another win. Hopefully this one by more than one score, by more than just a few points. Hopefully this one going to be by four or five scores and we get to see some young guys. We get to see Brock Vandergriff use one of those um, games that still allows him to play, but um, keep his red shirt and all those types of things. 
things. So i um, looking forward to just seeing what happens on Saturday and checking that out. So um, with all that being said, that's all I've got for this week. Thank you guys again for listening. Be sure to check us out on Facebook at the 404 Forum. I'm also on Twitter. That is at T-H-E, the number four, the number zero, F-O-R-U-M. Also, be sure to like and subscribe on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Just search the 404 forum, spelled the exact same way as in the social media handles. Let us know what you think. Um, thank you guys for listening. Also, want to throw out there one more thing. We got some uh, interesting things coming down the pipe. So, with uh, with the show here, I'm going to be transitioning to a new platform called Colorcast here um, next week. First show will be Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern time. Um, I will be sure to post the link on um, the Twitter, on the Facebook page, um, all over. Make sure you guys follow it. If you're a fan, you got my phone number, shoot me a text and let me know. Um, I'll get you that link. I'll get you the QR code, whatever you need. Um, but we're going to be there. We're going to be talking college football, going to go around the, you know, the nation, around the SEC. And then we're going to land back at home and talk dogs, just like we do here. Um, next week, we will not have a 404 forum, but we will probably do, you know, push the 404 forums every other week until we decide what's going to go on with the new show. Um, new show being called The Power. Our eye. Um, we're going to, you know, roll that out next week, like I said, and see what happens. But be sure to check it out on Colorcast. Um, like I said, I'll be sure to post the link on, you know, Facebook, on Twitter, all over social media. So be sure to follow there and I'll make sure to get that out very quickly. Um, again, thank you guys for listening. Look forward to listening or talking with you again next week, excuse me, and having you listen um, on Colorcast next Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern time. You'll be able to see my face um, shining and ready to go for you guys on Wednesday night. So thanks again for listening. Hope you guys have a great week. Great weekend. Um, Go dogs and looking forward to talking next week.